my, my family, we are in the middle of this stage of life where we're attempting to keep, teach our kids how to drive. Uh, anybody ever done that in your, in your life? You know, we have some, we have some quirks about that. Our, our uh, philosophy of driving, our, our kids have to learn to drive a stick. That's got to be their first car. Because, you know, if they ever need to steal a car, they, they can steal anything, you know. <laughs> you got to have options. Um, but um, uh, Emily, our oldest, she's a sophomore in college now, but... Uh, I'll never forget, she had just finished Safer Driving School here in Owasso, and, and uh, we had all the paperwork, and she was ready. It was the time to go get her license, the official deal. So we, we uh, drove to the DMV, which is also a matter of prayer. You know, that's a great experience. Uh, we drove to 21st Street, and uh, got, she took her test and had everything. She is official. She has her, all the paperwork, and now we just have to go to the tag agency to get her official license. And so, you know, you pour wisdom into the life of your kids, and, and sometimes it comes out and you don't recognize it. You, you ever been there? But I, I said to Emily as we were walking to the parking lot, I threw her my keys. And I said, all right, you're, you don't have the actual license yet, but we're going to get it. Well, you probably won't get in trouble because you have the paperwork you passed. So you're driving to, to the tag agency. And she said, well, Dad, I've not driven on the interstate yet. And I thought to myself, ah, that's all right. First time for everything. So today's the day. You're going to drive on the interstate the first time. Um, maybe I didn't think all that, that all the way through. But, um, but uh, she gets in the truck. We head north. We're heading to Owasso. And, and she um, uh, she's, does great. I mean, she gets on 169, and we're coming up. She's checking her spots. It's awesome. I'm like, good job. I mean, you know, you know the the driver, parent, coach next to them. It's annoying and great at the same time. And um, we get off on 86th Street, and we're, you know that curve on 86th Street when you get off on the north side, and, and we're coming around, and we were going to go to the tag agency. And you know by the Sonic, uh, you come around that corner, and you're supposed to yield. There's a big yield sign right there. Well, Emily didn't pay attention to that sign. And, and she's flying around that corner, and, and there was a lady coming. And thankfully, she saw the terror in my eyes as I gripped the dash and as I yelled out loud and had to repent and apologize for all that I was thinking and probably what I said uh, at that moment and had to apologize to Emily. But then we had a great, I think I had to change my drawers maybe, I don't know, but uh we had a great lesson after that moment as we're coming up to that stoplight on the service road about yield signs. Those are really important. Yield signs are great. They're there for our benefit. And hey, defensive driving, that's awesome. That lady, she's a good defensive driver because she noticed that, okay, this is not going to work out. And she stopped. And so I'm grateful that we didn't have an accident on the way to get her license, which we almost did. But yield signs are a blessing. You know, um, there are many moments in Scripture that when you study them, what they are are big yield signs. And sometimes we ignore the yield signs. And, and you know, as a pastor... Um, I will never apologize for teaching the Bible. 
In fact, we've got to learn God's word. And, and, and there are moments in scripture where, uh, where it's so encouraging and we come to church and we're like, wow, that's great. And, and it's so wonderful to follow the Lord. And, and it is. But there are also moments that we come on days like today where we have to turn our attention to the yield sign. And it may not always feel that great. But, but boy, we got to pay attention. And if we're going to really understand the Word of God, we need to stop and go, look, um, God, you're going to, we're going to allow your Word to speak all the time. And, and that's kind of where we are today. We, we've been in this series, and, and we started last week, and, and over the next really total seven more weeks, we have seven weeks left, we're, going, we're looking at this idea of I choose you as we hover over two passages of Scripture Mark chapter 10, 1 through 12, which is what we looked at last week. Today, we're going to look at Matthew 19, 1 through 12. And go ahead and open your Bibles and turn there if you would. But um, this, this is important for us because um, God has spoken on the issue of divorce. And today and next week specifically, we are going to turn our attention to this very difficult subject. And... and and so it's, it's, it's heavy. It's not easy uh, to preach it. It's not easy to receive it. But can I tell you, God has spoken about it, and we need it. We, we need to recognize what his word says. Because it, just like Emily learned that the yield sign was important, there, we've got to recognize that God has said, look, wait. Understand what I'm saying about marriage. And, and this idea of choose you is a, is a very important title to this series because, and it's difficult. Now, if you're married here today, I want you to know this entire series is for you because maybe you know what it's like to be in the, in the, in the difficulty, the fiery trials of marriage. And, and, and you're learning how to forgive one another, and, and you're learning how to work through that and build a marriage that lasts. I want you to know this series is for you because it's my prayer as we understand God's plan, God's vision for marriage, that, that we, are, we put it into practice. We do something about it because that's what we're supposed to do. We, we need to pay attention to what God has said and, and put it into our lives because following Jesus is the greatest thing we'll ever do. And his word is spoken to guide us and to, and to lead us. So if you're married, I pray that over these next few weeks that, that we, we hear from God. Now, if you're single today, you know, this whole idea, this whole concept of I choose you is difficult for many. Because there are people, many in our church that, that I, I know and I'm, I love that in your in this this concept this idea I choose you is difficult because you know what it's like to not be chosen. You, you've been in the relationship and you wanted your spouse to choose you and, and they didn't. They chose somebody else or they chose something else. And so this is very hurtful and very difficult for you. I want you to know this is for you because because. The pain that you feel right now, can I just tell you that you're not going to know this pain forever. You will heal. 
God will heal your heart and God will bring you through. And whether or not you marry again, if, if you do, you need to understand what God has said on the subject of marriage. If, if God is going to bring that into your life, if you are going to be single for the rest of your life, you need to understand God's vision for marriage because you will be, uh, th- this is going to strengthen you. This is going to encourage you. So I pray, even if you're hurting today, that you don't turn away God's voice and God's word here because, because we need it. It's, 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 it's going to make us strong. It's going to bring hope to us, even on difficult subjects like today. This week, this week what we're going to do is look at why marriages fail. Next Sunday is going to be important. And I hope you come, even though it's uh, holidays, Labor Day, I hope you come because we're going to look at how uh, the, the, the biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage because the Bible is spoken. And, and we've, got to, we've got to allow God to speak and allow God's word to guide us. And, and just like we say all the time, we are a people that say we are going to line our beliefs up with what God has said. We're going to line our opinions up with what God has said. Well, God, you're going to change our opinions. You're going you're to shape our beliefs, shape our practices. And so that's kind of where we're going. And um, I want you to know this is, a, if you're not married, this is for you. If you're a, a single, you've never been married, but you're praying about that, this is for you. You need to understand God's vision for marriage. If you're a teenager, I'll tell you it's desperate, it's critical for you in the, in the Taylor Swift world of love songs and all these things to, to recognize that God has a plan for marriage. God has a plan for your life. So let's, let's understand it. Now, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 19, as our practice, we stand in honor of God's word as a simple statement to say, this is God's word, not mine. And as we turn our face to it, and, and I'll simply state at the end of reading the text that I'll state the obvious, this is the word of the Lord. And let's together just say, praise be to God, thankful for his word. Verse 1, Matthew 19. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh." What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciple said to him, if such is, is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But the one who is able to receive this, receive it. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now it's surprising to think about how human nature really hasn't changed much over time. You know, back in, the, in Jesus' day, this subject of divorce was, was a hot potato. I mean, I mean the, the, the Pharisees had come to trick Jesus, and, and, uh, and they wanted to pin him down, and they wanted to just kind of um, back him into a corner. And what's interesting is as, uh, as these Pharisees come to him, basically they were looking for the easy way out. And, and it's no different today. I mean, I look at, at how um, people come together and get married. And it's common to look for the easy way out. And, and this has impacted the, the church just as, as much as it's impacted the world. Can, can I just share my heart with you? It's so interesting to me. I, I'm trying to wrap my, my heart and head around it. Um, you know, I've been, all I've ever done is ministry. I mean, I started working. Uh, God called me to preach at 15, and I started serving as a, in the church at 19. That's all I've ever done. And um, in all my ministry, I can remember us preparing for series on marriage and, and family. And, and, and you know, it, it, it was always surrounded by excitement and, and, and by this uh, energy and all these things. You know, this is the first time in my whole ministry that as we've come to this series, there's been anxiety. There's been heartache. I called my mentor yesterday, and I was like, you know, I'm trying to put my finger on it. Is, it. is it a season in our church, or is it a sign of our times? But the reality is marriage is, is under attack all over. And, and, this, and, and our culture and our world has this, this, this false view of marriage, and it's just interesting um, that I find, and, and we've seen this many times, of of couples that we hear about getting a divorce just because they felt like, oh, I'm not happy. Or, or a couple that say, one member of this family says, you know what, uh, it's going to be more adventurous with someone else. I think I'm going to, I want to go after a new adventure or um, I just want to pursue something more exciting. And they may not say that, but it's that idea that, that marriage has this consumer perspective. That, that many people in our day look at marriage consumeristically. By, by that, I mean they, they think about marriage as, well, I'll stay with you as long as you meet my needs. I'll stay with you as long as you make me happy. And, and the thing that I pray that we catch over this whole eight weeks is that we understand that marriage is not a consumer relationship. Marriage is a covenant. And a covenant is, is, is one that God expects us to keep. And it's my prayer that we are, we, are, we are diligent, that we are a church that is diligent to say, Lord, we will keep the covenant that we have established, that our, that our kids grow, grow up to understand that, wait, marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a, is a commitment that we are making, and it's not just a, a commitment this way. It's a commitment that is vertical, saying, God, we are making this commitment to you. And this is something I pray we get. Now look at verse 1. Now Jesus, when Jesus had finished teaching, now, now you've got to understand, Mark 10, Matthew 19, this is Mark and Matthew's account of the same moment as Jesus is, is confronted by these Pharisees. And, and Matthew says that when Jesus finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee 
entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And this is what I love about Jesus. Everywhere he went, he healed people. And, and I believe he does this today. And, and it's been my prayer as we prepare, especially over the next two weeks, on this really heavy topic that God would come and bring healing to couples. And I want you to know God can do that for you. God is in the business of healing lives and marriage. And so even though this is a heavy subject, it's not one without hope. Because Jesus heals us. And he did this here in, in verse, verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? I mean, these guys are looking for the easy way out. Lord, can I just have any reason to divorce my wife? And he answered, verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from, from the beginning made them male and female, what does Jesus do? He points back to Genesis. Guys, you know this. God made them male and female. This is from the beginning. He says this in verse 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. That, that look, guys, you're flipping about this. You're like any cause, this flippant vision, this this flippant view of divorce. And he's like, no, you're to hold fast to your wife. You're to hold on at all cost. And this is what he says. And the two, look what he says, verse, verse 5. And the two shall become one flesh, verse 6, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Look at what God does in marriage. That It's interesting. They, they question Jesus about divorce. And what does he do? He points them to God's view of marriage. No, guys, you're missing it. Because when a couple comes together and, and they're united, it's two coming into one flesh. And look what he says. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. And he points this out, that look, God is who brings couples together. This is important because as I think about my own marriage and how, how Robin and I have had to overcome some struggles and how we've had to forgive some, one another, how we had to work, we've had to work through challenges, there have been many times that we've come together and said, look, we're, God, you started this. I want you to know no matter how you came together, God's the one that brought you together. And he says, Jesus says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. It's not man's job to separate. It's not God's plan for you to separate. They said to him, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus is like, what, what he, he didn't command that. He's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1 that says this when a man Moses wrote this when a man takes a wife and marries her if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her that's what Moses wrote and that was the big debate of the day of of what does that indecency mean what does that really mean and 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 the Pharisees were were debating this and, and Jesus said no, no, wait a minute. Moses didn't command you to divorce. And what does he say? He said, verse 8, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. He's like, look, 
Moses didn't command you to divorce. You're looking for the easy way out. What Moses said was, hey, because your hearts are hard, I'm going to permit you to divorce. Now, now, here's what Jesus is saying. Point number one, if you're following, I hope you follow along in your notes, is this, that the goal of marriage is lifelong unity. And that's the goal of marriage. And it's important that we understand that, that, that we have a vision for that, that the goal of marriage is this lifelong unity. And the Pharisees, they approached Jesus with this question because there was this huge debate going on at the time of Christ between these two rabbis. And, and it's no different than today. Like, there's all kinds of preachers and, and, and theologians that will make statements on different things. Like in preparation for this series, I read a book that's an interesting read. It may be a little academic, but you ought to check it out. There's, it's called The Three Views of, of, of Remarriage, Divorce and Remarriage. It's a counterpoint series, and it's theologians that are arguing different views. And it was interesting. Well, I, I do that. I look at guys that like believe differently than me and read about them and, and try to understand. Well, there were two rabbis, Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai, that were very popular, and, and all the Pharisees were, were theologians, and they would say, hey, you know, some kind of agreed with Rabbi Hillel, some with Rabbi Shammai, and, and basically Rabbi Shammai took this strict view that said when Moses talked about some indecency, he is specifically referring to sexual indiscretion. But Rabbi Hillel took this liberal view that, you know what, whatever, you're, if, you're, if you're displeased for any reason, you can get rid of her. And Jesus was like, look, you guys are, are missing the point. And he drew this picture of marriage, of, of, of lifelong unity, that God expects this unity to last a lifetime. But you know, what's interesting is, is when I think about my own marriage, that every marriage is either moving towards unity or isolation. And, and I want us to take a few minutes to, to, to think about marriage. Now, this is not something I, I created. This is just common um, marriage, marriage knowledge that, you know, the phases of marriage, that first phase is that, that romantic phase. You know, you know that, that phase when, oh, every, oh, it's so cute that you squeeze the toothpaste bottle there. Oh, I love that. You know, when you first get married and, oh, you get in bed and like, oh, did you toot? Oh, that's so cute. You know, those kind of things. You know, that, that phase of marriage that everything's cute, everything's, everything's working. You know, it's all it's so cute. And that's that, that romantic phase. Of, uh, then, then you hit the reality phase. Okay, I, I have a moment in time. Like four months into our marriage, it was a moment that our honeymoon phase ended and our reality phase started. Okay, it was a, and I'm not going to tell that story today because there's so many uh, stories. But, but that one was a moment in time that my wife had this moment of, I am married to him. Oh, my goodness. I am stuck. And thank the Lord for my in-laws because Robin went to them in tears and they said, you can't you got to go back. <laughs> and she's like, okay, I will. And, uh, but it's the reality phase. And every marriage hits that. Then the next phase is that renovation phase where you're like, okay, we got to renovate this. we got to build this. And then, can I tell you something that frustrates me? We meet with couples all the time, especially couples that are getting married. And, and I hear this all the time. That, that they'll find out that a couple is engaged. Someone out there in their life will find out they're engaged, and they'll go, oh, man, you're engaged. Marriage is so tough. 
Oh, man. And that's the advice they get. Don't ever say that to a couple getting married because marriage is, is, is a joy. Yes, you work at marriage. Yes, you have to work on your marriage. And yes, you have to forgive one another. But can I tell you, marriage is a joy. And that renovation phase, phase is important because you renovate and you build a marriage that lasts. And see, that renovation phase, what needs to happen is that next stage, which is mature love, when you grow into really love one another in a mature way. But so often couples move away from unity and towards isolation, which is that retaliation phase. Rather than mature love, they start to retaliate, and then they start to reject one another. And, and, and just for a few minutes, and we'll go through this quick, because there's so much to say, but we're going to kind of build on this over two weeks. But, but we've got to pay attention to the threats that are that our marriages are facing. Folks, our marriages are facing threats. And we got to deal with the threats to unity. That's point number two. And, and so for the next few minutes, can we deal with this? The threats to our unity and our marriages, the threats that we face. Threat number one is this, the difficult adjustments. Do you know that, that, that some marriages don't recognize that they have to make adjustments? Robin and I uh, have made adjustments all through our life. Remember the, uh, we remember the days when we, we didn't have kids and we could just say, hey, let's just go on a date at 10 o'clock. Let's go to the movie. And, and we would just go to the movie at 10 o'clock at night. And then we had our first child and we're like, well, it's kind of wrong to leave this baby in the bed by herself. So we can't really do that. So you had to organize babysitting and dating got harder for us. And then we, that was a phase of life. And, and, and then we had a reality the other day. Uh, this summer, Emily, my oldest, was in Nicaragua all summer. And, 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 our, and Eric and Maggie were at camp. And, and Robin and I are in a house where there's all kinds of noise and, and guitars and, you know, just activity and running everywhere. And we were sitting there this summer going, man, it's so quiet. What do you want to do? This is weird. And we got a vision that there's a stage coming in our lives rapidly where our kids are out of our house. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I hear, I hear that it's going to be good, but, but right now we're like, oh, man. I, I know pretty soon we're going to go, all right. You know, I hear that. But, but you know, Every marriage will have to adjust. And I don't want you to miss that. Sometimes the, the, the threat of not adjusting, not changing, and I hear couples say all the time, you know what, you're different than, than you were when I first married you, and you should be. You change. You should change together. You've got to make adjustments, and, and, and every marriage will have to make adjustments. Threat number two is, is this cultural flaws, the cultural flaws that are here. Can I tell you that our culture is wrong on marriage, that, that our culture is throwing this idea out to us that marriage is this 50-50 exchange, that, that if, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If you meet my needs, then I'll, give you, I'll meet your needs. But as soon as you stop, I'm done. And our culture is wrong. And, and we've got to be a people that say, like we sang today, God, I surrender. I surrender to you. And that's who we are. That's who we've got to be as a people that say, God, we surrender to your voice. And it's a threat in our marriages not 
to, to, it's a threat to follow the cultural instruction. And i got to tell you, we've we, we got to recognize that. Marriage is not a consumer relationship. It's a covenant relationship. And that's a threat. And let's, So let's call it out. Let's not buy into the lies that we are getting fed. And, and, and let's, let's model for our kids and our grandkids that we will follow God's word more than we'll follow the cultural norms and the cultural voices. Third threat is the inevitable struggles. Folks, I want you to know every marriage has trouble. Every marriage has problems. And, and, and here's what I pray, that we build a church, that, that we, we reject that idea that you have to get all your stuff right before you walk in the door. And, and I want to reject that idea that, that we want to come into church and be anonymous and, and we're not honest about our struggles and our problems. And, and this is why, what so many people do in church. And, and I want you to know this is a place that's safe. There is help here. What I love about this church is we have multiple generations. We have, we have couples that have been married for 50-plus years and, and that have survived very difficult circumstances in their lives. And, and there's resources around us. There are, there are people here that have, have modeled how to help your spouse go to heaven. And they've done that well. And they've, they've been faithful in sickness and in health and, and even to the ultimate end of seeing them go be with Jesus. And folks, I want you to know something. We're going to have struggles. And that's why I, I want you to realize that problems are normal. I see so many couples that say, you know what, we have problems. Well, you're normal. Let, let's understand that. But don't avoid your problems. Don't push them away. Let's deal with them. And that's why we have a class starting on the meaning of marriage coming up in two weeks on Wednesday night. I hope you come. Come with your spouse. Come, come and learn. Come and be around a group of people that's, that you don't have to get it all together. Now, I don't have it all together, and I don't know if this is a, a, a mistake or, or if, it's, if it's right. It's just who I am, and I'm not, I can't change it. But, but I often talk about to you, uh, look, I'm not, I don't have it all together. I'll share my struggles with you because you know, there used to be a pressure of pastors that, that hey, you ought to you keep some image up and you've got to make sure that you don't uh, admit your struggles. You've got to hide those. The problem is that's not what church is. Church is living life together and, and holding one another accountable and owning up to our mistakes. Even and I better be the, I better do it before anybody else. If I'm the pastor, right? And, and so let's, let's deal with our problems. And, and you're going to have struggles. That's inevitable. But, but sometimes those, this is a threat because couples don't, don't honestly connect and deal with the struggles that they have. And I want you to know around you right now are people that can help you and that will help you, that will speak into your life, that will be honest, that will guide you and strengthen you. Threat number four is the extramarital affairs. Now, let me define that. An extramarital affair is a search for fulfillment outside of marriage. And, and let me tell you something. This comes in a lot of ways. There, there's the materialism affair. The, the people that have the idea that, you know what, uh, my, my family needs stuff to make them happy, and so they're, they're, they're married to this materialism, and that's what they do. 
Gosh, I've seen that as a youth pastor. I've seen the, the, the emptiness of stuff in the place of relationships in a, in a healthy marriage. And I saw this all my, my whole ministry. There, there's that career affair. That, that person that says, you know what, I'm just going to pour my life into my career and I'm going to neglect my marriage. I, I'll never forget, you know, I, I shared last week when, when Robin and I went through our struggle. Uh, during that time, I went to a conference and I, I went to it every year. It was a youth pastor conference and, and there was a guy named Phil Newberry and, and his wife Jeannie and they are just incredible leaders. And he's the, he was the youth pastor for many years at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And, and he's like the, the, the legendary youth guy. And, and Robin and I sat down with Phil and Jeannie and we said, hey, we're struggling. Would you speak into our lives? And Phil looked me in the eye and he said, hey, I want to ask you a question. Are you having an affair? I was like, no, I'm not. He goes, yes, you are. He goes, Chris, it's with the church and you better stop. And I was like, man, that hurt. He was right. Sometimes we have affairs with our careers. And we gotta, we got to pay attention to that threat. Then there's that fantasy affair. That affair where a, a man or a woman gets wrapped into pornography or these novels and, and these ideas that are not real. Can I tell you that pornography trap is not real? It's not real. It's a lie. It's false, and it's false intimacy. And, and, and I want you to know the real thing is better. And we've got to make sure we don't fall into that fantasy that it's better on the other side of the fence. It's better with somebody else. Let me tell you, it is not. God's plan is the best plan. And, and somebody else will not meet the needs better than the one that God brought into your life. Then there's that emotional affair. That's where it starts, isn't it? That's where those affairs start. I mean, you don't automatically you just show up one day and go, oh my goodness, we're in bed together with somebody else. No, it starts emotionally, doesn't it? Those lines are crossed. Those boundaries are broken. You start to crave that. You know what? That person understands me better. And we got to reject that lie. And, and see then that leads to the physical affair. And, and, and here's the point. We've got to pay attention to this threat, the threat of extramarital affairs. This, we've got to hear this warning. And, and I, I pray that we recognize that, that threat, threat number five is that natural selfishness. You know, when, when Robin and I got married, I couldn't hide my flaws. She, you know, my, my wife has been a witness to, to, to the very, very best of my life. She's seen me at my very, very best. You know what? She's seen me at my very, very worst. Robin has seen me in those moments that if you were there, you would have said, man, I'm so glad he's my pastor. How cool. What a, that's my pastor. She's also been there in those moments that you would go, that's my pastor? Yikes. See, she's been there. And see, this, this concept 
that this biblical concept that Jesus drew this picture of not this me-centered marriage, but this, this covenant that says, look, I will sacrifice for you. I will surrender for you. He says to husbands, like Ephesians 5, he says, you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And husbands, that's our call, to love our wives that sacrificially. That's God's vision. That's what, that's what Jesus drew when these disciples, these Pharisees came and said, look, I want the easy way out. He goes, no, it's a sacrificial call. God brought you together and you should not separate it. And we got to hear it. We got to follow it. And you know what? Around us, that's why next week is so important because some of you, you wanted that and you tried for that and you, you sought that, you prayed for that, you longed for that and, and you watched your spouse walk, walk on you. Can I tell you that next week is so important because we're going to look at, at how, what, what, what the Bible says about that and how, how there's freedom after that and how God restores after that. But, but God clearly articulates grounds permission for divorce. But let me tell you something. Moses didn't command it. Jesus didn't command it either. What, what Jesus commands is, hey, understand the unity of this. And this is why those couples that I've seen that, that have had very difficult and very huge failures, I've watched God bring restoration and forgiveness. And so if you're here today and you're married, Let's can, can can as your pastor, I want to get in your way and say, stay that way, stay together. You know, you know, my dad, my dad was a coach, and and there's probably great um, um, counseling needs I have with a father as a coach because he was always evaluating. I mean, every time I would come to the dinner table, he was like, you know what? You, you kind of had some double faults. You should have worked on that a little better. And that, that's impacted me. It, it drives me today. But you know what a good coach does? A good coach will notice a mistake that a player makes, and regardless how great they are or how, how good they are, a good coach will say, you know what, that's a mistake. You ought to not do that. This is a tough subject. But can I tell you? As a pastor, I'm compelled to stand in front of you and say it's a mistake to let our marriages fall apart. And if I don't get up and say, let's look at God's word and let it speak and confront this issue, then I'm not a good pastor. And that's just not going to be acceptable to me or to the Lord. And so we're going to turn our face to it. God loves you. And God did not make a mistake when he brought you together with your spouse. Let's do the work of having a church that helps one another through the mess of marriage. Because sometimes marriage is messy. No, often marriage is messy. And I'll tell you what, 
Let's be a place that helps people through the wake of divorce, that atomic bomb explosion of divorce. And let's allow God to let us build a church that's honest, that's not afraid to to say, look, I need Jesus today. I need him in my life. Let's not be afraid to say, wait, wait, look, you're getting off of what God's word says here. Hold on, hold on, I'm going to get in your way. Let's be a church that gets in one another's way and say, look, if you're going to not follow Jesus, you're going to have to go around me. And I'm going to keep moving and make it tough. That's the kind of church we got to have. Our days are too critical for us to just be fluffy all the time. For us to not roll our sleeves up and listen to the Lord. Now, our invitation is going to start. We're, it's time. I could talk for longer, but i got to wrap it up. you got to go to lunch probably. But can I tell you, our altars are going to be open. And, and you know what? If you come and pray with your husband or wife, nobody's going to sit there and go, oh, look at them. No. We are all people that need Jesus. And every marriage needs him. Wherever you are today, the Holy Spirit is just saying, come to me, follow me. You know, you know, Jesus changed my life. He, he, he rescued me. And if you don't know what that's like, oh, we'd love to share with you how you can be saved, how you can have the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But let's be real. Let's be honest. Let's seek the help that is right here, right around us. Come to that class in two weeks on Wednesday night. If you're struggling, don't don't stay silent. If you're hurting, you don't have to hide that. Man, aren't you glad?